Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you so much for downloading this week's podcast of the best of the breakfast show on Virgin Radio with Sky. Coming up, Josh Widdicombe chats his new podcast, Lockdown Parenting Hell. John Bishop tells us all about his new book, How to Grow Old, A Middle-Aged Man Moaning. The legendary Roger Daltrey and Bonnie Tyler share all about Bonnie's new charity single and Roger's decades-long work with Teenage Cancer Trust. All that and so much more on the way, but first, Vassos, here's a first guest. He's a stand-up superstar and peerless on panel shows, but like many a parent, he's being pushed to his limits by lockdown. His new podcast with Rob Beckett, Lockdown Parenting Hell, is available now. So please welcome the um, raddest dad on planet Earth, Josh Whitaker. Good morning, Josh. Hello. Hello, hello. Very well. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm fine. From a parent, you know, lockdown parenting hell, we're in parenting heaven. I mean, it's not easy, but we've never been closer or happier. So I've got to go against you on this one, Josh. Chris. Chris. Yeah, come on. You're, you're exactly the kind of people that makes me feel bad about myself. <laughs> Good. Against the fifth hour of Sarah Duck. <laughs> but having said that, my wife is, she's in, she's in charge of mission control. What's it like for you? Tell us about your, some, some of your experiences, Josh. I mean, I know what you're saying. It is funny, and there's lots of funny things that happen. But honestly, overall, we are, we are much closer to our kids. We know them more than we ever yeah. thought, thought we Well, more than we thought we, we didn't know we didn't know them, I suppose is what I want to say. Yeah, my worry is I've got to know her and I'm not sure I like her. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so this morning, yeah. just this morning, she started calling me Josh. She's two and a half. <laughs> she got through the daddy face. She's been calling me Josh That's all morning. That's so funny. But you see, are you liking them less or yourself less? I'm liking myself less. Because that's the thing. What I found was uh, I was really judging myself harshly because people were talking about making banana bread or finding a sense of peace. Yeah. And then I was like, at the end of the day, I would text my friends who also had children, and it would make me feel better because they were having a tough time as well. And I, the person that was making me happiest was Rob Beckett because he was really struggling. Yeah. So we thought, well, let's talk about on this on a podcast so that people can feel better about themselves by seeing how badly we're doing. I mean, my daughter's getting; she's addicted to mango now. She's on maybe. One and a half to two mangoes yeah. a day, yeah, which is a really middle-class addiction. I realise. You no, know, but... our little girl, our little girl Boo, who's eighteen months, her first proper word was hummus, and I'm not joking; it really was hummus. And we couldn't You've believe changed, it. Chris. No, well, Same. well, I have. I obviously have. The thing with it is, it's just like it, it's lovely. You see them all the time, but it's just relentless. It's relentless, and every every speech made by Boris that I'm just looking for the word nursery. That's the only word I've looked for. <laughs> she was going two days a week to nursery yeah. before lockdown. Mm. I think I'm looking at seven or eight days a week now for her. At least eight, I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now, but the reason you're maybe you're struggling with it more than others um, is because, mm. uh, you know, bearing in mind the point, some people are genuinely struggling, uh, and yeah. you know, and having uh, having a, just the most awful time that they didn't even think was would happen in anybody's lifetime, let alone theirs, eight weeks mm. ago. Um, but you're you go on tour a lot, and you're you know you you go and record TV shows a lot, and you know. 
you, but yours, you, you have a half-life, don't you? You have a, yeah, you so have a divided life. And I'm thinking about the, rolling, the, the rolling Stones, that they spend most of their lives on tour. What are they going to do? Because they're also they're in the they're in the vulnerable category. They're never going to play a live gig again. <laughs> no, Ronnie Wood's got like a three-year-old as well at the age of seventy. I mean, there's no way I'd be doing. It. I I I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like I do a lot of parenting when I'm at home, yeah. but you always. I didn't realise how that hour when I'm doing a stand-up show, yeah. I'm enjoying myself, not because I'm doing stand-up, just because it's a bit of me time. It's yeah. a bit of time on my own on I know, stage. I know, I know. Well, so, the, the bosses here said, you know, last week, they said, you know, do you want a week off? You've had a week off for ages. I went, there is no week off here. Mm. The, the, that, that's not a scenario. Show me the week off and I'll take it. The week off is back at home, you know, and I leave home at half past five, half past four, sometimes half past three, and I get home about midday. You know, after playing some records and having a laugh with my mates, yeah, I said yeah. The, the only week off is another week on. Well, how about I do drive time? How about I do drive time as well for a week? <laughs> is what I said. Well, this, this is, I totally understand. This is, I saw. Did you see that picture of all the people in the traffic jam queuing for the open KFC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first thing I thought was, I would love to be sat in a traffic jam <laughs> on my own. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is can't so imagine anything better. Right now, you're 18 uh, series in to the last leg. Um, what, what's what's? I mean, you know, what do you see? What's what's the best uh, worst case scenario uh, for that? Well, you know, what what's what does good look like in the next few months for 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 you and your TV projects? Well, we're doing the last leg with Adam is in Australia, I'm in uh, East London, and Alex is in Huddersfield, and we did that last week, and it was it was. Do you know what? It was the most nervous I've been about a TV show mm. in probably five years. It was yeah. terrifying. But it was kind of exciting in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? You're putting yourself out of your comfort zone and you're doing something that could go really badly wrong. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of one of the fun things about TV is when it's live, as you know, like anything can happen. So we're quite enjoying doing that. We've got three more of them coming up in the next, um, next three weeks. So that's quite exciting. But then I don't know what's happening. I'm going yeah. to be going on tour in autumn. That's, that may, is that an indoor tour? That is an indoor it's not going tour, to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen, Josh, is it? Well, that's, you know, I can't say that officially. But no, no, no. In no, my no. head, I... Yeah, I don't think it yeah. is. I mean, you know, I could be wrong. Um, it's, it's been known. Oh, Reading cancelled yesterday. <laughs> the Reading Festival cancelled yeah. yesterday. That's the August Bank holiday. We've got big chats about Carfest uh, later on after the show. Um, but it's funny. What have you learnt? Have you, what, have we, what have you learnt from what's happened from professionally? Have you learnt anything that will stay with you? Yeah, I think it's just, um, in terms of my job, yeah. also it's just learning to, like, I think, and I think actually I've had this since parenting. It's when you have less time, and you're working and you're kind of in your house. I've learned to, like, work when I sit down to work. And do you know what? That sounds weird, but you, I think I pontificated and didn't do anything for most yeah. of my 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you've got other things to do, like this is such an extreme situation, it means that when you sit down to work, you're like, I'm really lucky I've got my job. Yeah. I really love my job. And it's a kind of joy to sit down and do it. So you work really hard and you, you also... It's about like, I've, you know, I, there's lots of things that have been moved and stuff, but this is, I can't complain at all, apart from, you know. No, you're not complaining. We're just, we're just, no, we're just talking it's about like, what's going on. You don't, don't, yeah, no, no, no. You, know, you don't have to defend you, what you're saying. No, 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 no. It's just but what I mean is like, it's actually made me kind of realize how lucky I am to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. How, you know, to, to go and do a job that you want to do is one of the greatest kind of, 
honours you can have, really. One of the greatest privileges you can have. It's a blessing, isn't it? It's a blessing. Yeah, it really is. And just remembering that. And also, I think people have behaved really well. Do you know what I mean? I think, in general, if people have behaved really well, and it does give you hope in that sense. It does. It I does. really think that. All right, Josh. Well, it's lovely to talk to you. So, Lockdown uh, Parenting Hell, episodes one to five available now. Might there be, might there be, you know, in the, in the what are we in now, the eighth week of lockdown, 51st day of lockdown, you know, say around the 75th day of lockdown, and we'll still be locked down by then. Could there be a Lockdown Parenting Heaven, do you think, episode now? Now, <laughs> now and again, come well, on. Now and again, wonders will never see. Well, Chris, if you want to come on and talk about your lockdown parents in heaven, we're no, let's not go that far for heaven's sake. I mean, come on, seriously. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest is an English comedian, presenter, actor, and a former pharmaceutical rep and footballer. He's won awards, raised millions for charity, and once cycled across Australia. But he's definitely not old. Here with his latest book, How to Grow Old, it's the seasoned veteran of comedy and life, the joyful John Bishop. Good morning, John. Good morning, Chris. I love being called a seasoned veteran. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I mean, veteran's one thing, but seasoned veteran, come on. Seasoned veteran. Yeah. It's like I've been marinated. Has many layers to it, doesn't it, that? Uh, right, John, uh, this book, How to Grow Old. Now, the first thing uh, we've, got, we've got to say, both of us together, we're very similar age-wise, is that we, we, when you and I, people like us, talk about this particular subject, people who are in the 70s and 80s, they don't want to hear about it they say, hang on a minute, when it comes to being old, you're a mere whippersnapper. So this, yeah. co- this comes with that kind of caveat, doesn't it? It does, because like, like in, in your 50s now, when you're in your 50s, you think being in your 50s is when you're in your 30s. You think, yeah, you can still be cool in your 50s, but the reality <laughs> is everyone looking at you knows you're old. Yeah. You just don't. We, we've, we've moved time yeah. differently. And so I, th- I do agree that the people who were in the 70s are looking down at us and go, you've got no idea. But this is a book came about because when I was on tour, I was talking about 10 and 50. Yep. And the publisher said, why don't, you, why don't you write it down after the tour and just put it into a, a book form? And it is a little bit, it is a little bit tongue in cheek in the fact that I, you know, obviously, Chris, me and you are cool. I'm not old. <laughs> But the thing is, we're not old. I mean, we're just older. You know, I don't know when you get old, if you ever get old. I don't really like these. It's too finite, the term old. I love the introduction. I read your book last night, John, and I love the intro uh, because you say, you know, your stand-up is, you know, it's it's akin to therapy. And then I thought, shall I ask him, how does he know that? Has he had therapy? Uh, but I won't ask you that. Instead, I'll put this to you. Is this just more therapy then? Is it more therapy? Yeah, it's it's cheaper than paying a therapist. Because <laughs> you can think as long as you want. Um, is it more therapy? It probably is, because you know what it is? The difference with writing this, because I've done an autobiography, I know you've written books, and there's that thing where you, you're, you're writing on your own, and it's, it's, it's very different than doing stand-up, because with stand-up, it's kind of instant. You know if something works straight away. But writing a book, I did find very therapeutic, because I had to think about the subject a little bit more intensely than I would do with stand-up. With stand-up, you just aim for the funny bit and then you move on. And about halfway through the book, you did you did write to the guy who's been your champion, hasn't he, really? The guy who saw your, saw your stand-up and said, look, come on, there's a book in this. Yeah. You said, look, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it. I've had enough. 
But you know what it's like. It's a hard. It's hard writing a book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why not many people do it. I know. You, you, it's great for the first fifty pages, yeah. and then after that, you just go, "Oh God, how, how, how much more have I got to do?" I and know. and and that's where I with the guy called Ian, who was great, coming up and go, "Just think of that title now. Go away and write something." So he was good, just moving you along. And also, it was I was going through a sort of bit in me in me life where I just. You know that bit. Sometimes you've just got no energy for anything, and you've got to you've got to make yourself do. It. Like you've got this thing with you and your personality. You're up in the morning. You're lifting everybody up, and it kind of everyone feeds off your enthusiasm. But when you when you're in isolation, like we all are now, or when you're upstairs trying to write a book and you're on your own, there's no <laughs> one to get that enthusiasm off, which is really useful to have an editor that I could phone up and just just have that interaction with. Because I'm used to an audience as well. I know. I know it's so funny. But you, you, again, you're talking about your editor like a therapist, you know, or, or your sponsor. Yeah. Your sponsor. You need to call your sponsor up every day and say, look, I just, <laughs> I just, I just, mate, I just need to talk about this. But it's so funny. Have you ever had this thought, John? You know, when I was at school, I couldn't, I could, you know, if, if we had to hand in a 500-word essay by the end of the week, I, I, I never did it. And I always think, I wonder what my teachers think three books on. You know, what, yeah. do you mean, what do you mean he's writing books? He yeah, <laughs> couldn't exactly. write a word. No, he couldn't, there's, but he wouldn't write a word. Bit, I, I do think that where people... I had a brilliant English teacher called Jeff Logan. You know those teachers who are inspirational? Yeah. I had... I had I, I, and I keep thinking, I hope he walks past the bookshop <laughs> and sees it. Right, How to Grow Old is out now. Uh, visit johnbishoponline.com for tour updates. <laughs> Give us your tour updates. How, how is that? Because yesterday we had, to, we had to finally announce that we we're going to postpone yeah. uh, Carfest. So, so where, where are you with those decisions? And do you have deadlines to make the decisions? Are you, who yeah, are you talking well, we to? Had, I had a load of dates in. I had a TV show that was meant to be on. All of those things got put aside. The next tranche of dates that I've got are in... September and we'll probably make a call on them in June I think is, but, but we're, I'm not really anticipating theatres being open properly until next year which but, is you know, it's a shame but it's probably the case safety, isn't it yeah safety is more important so yeah. we, 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 as you said with Carfest it will happen we just want people to know it will happen and give everyone something to look forward to. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, if you had a long-range weather forecast, and I'm not being um, trite here, and it was, if, you, if, you look, if it looked like a warm September and October, would you consider moving your dates outside? Because that, that could work. That could be an answer. You know what? That, again, this is a conversation that only happened yesterday. Somebody asked me about it. And I, I, I you'd have to look at it. It would be strange because uh, comedy is always best if you're in a dark room and it's like a little secret. <laughs> That's uh, so true. But, you know, if, you, if it's the only way of doing it, doing it outside. Everybody sat on hay bales under the stars. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. It could be a whole new way. It could be, it could be the way forward. Uh, John, love to talk to you. Stay safe, stay well. All right, and you kiss. God bless to you and the family. All right, pal. How to Grow is out now. Uh, I started to read it last night um, on Kindle, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's laugh-out-loud funny, and it's there for us all to enjoy. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next two guests have many things in common. They're British, they are music legends, they've had countless hits and they're big supporters of the Teenage Cancer Trust. Here to tell us about a brand new fundraising single through thick and thin, I'll stand by you. OMG, it's Roger Daltrey, hopefully, and definitely Bonnie Tyler. Good morning, Bonnie. 
Good morning. Good morning. Tell us about this new song. So tell us about how it came about, uh, when, when, it, when it began to uh, show its face. Well, um, Lorraine Crosby and Stuart Emerson, you know, husband and wife, they wrote the song, uh, I think 2005, we mm. had it out on an album. But um, Lorraine Crosby is, um, it, her main cancer trust is the Teenage Cancer Trust, you mm-hmm. know. And she suggested, uh, how about releasing this as a single? I said, oh gosh, it, if it'll do any good for them, it'd be fantastic, you know. So, yeah, so that's, being released today i just hope people will buy it for for the cancer trust you know um because cancer doesn't stop for anything chris you yeah, know i know i know i know and nor do other all the other major diseases and causes of death yeah and I, I know that roger's legendary um fundraiser which is at the albert hall it's always a week of, of massive gigs at the albert hall it's a fantastic event to to try and get a ticket to and uh, some yeah, amazing people have played it all that yeah now, they've lost know? it haven't they and that's a mid that's a million pound event isn't it exactly yeah absolutely all right okay. i mean just before this um this pandemic broke out there was um, a, a concert for the um the hospital in London, you know, which yeah. which was it raised over a million for the hospital, uh, but not it it wasn't for the especially for the cancer trust, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all good, yeah. all good, all good, and all come from the right place. Now, I do believe Mr. Daltrey has made that telephone call and he's on the line now. Hello, good morning, okay. Roger. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Bunny. <laughs> good morning, Roger. Good morning. Uh, now, Roger, um, I'm so sorry about what's going on with the, the your legendary week of gigs at the Albert Hall. How how advanced were they in the planning? Oh, I mean, well, where, where did you go? I mean, we didn't know whether to pull pull the gigs three weeks prior to the Albert Hall closing up. You know, yeah, yeah. we were nervous of it. Uh, you could see it coming. But, I mean, that takes a year to get those gigs together. I know. It's incredibly difficult to get seven people seven different nights of the week, yep. different people that can fill the Albert Hall. Yeah, they're going to do it. Would have been wonderful. Yeah, well, it always has been <laughs> wonderful. What what is the um, what is the morale like back at uh, Teenager Cancer Trust headquarters? Are, are you are they all okay, the guys? Because I know a lot of them personally. Well, yeah, no, we we are we we obviously we're struggling because like all chari- small charities, which we are, although we are in the NHS and we're the only you know age age specific service, you know, for adolescents and young adults yep. with cancer, who in this particular time, you know, their immunes are compromised just by the medications they're on. I know. So, you know, it leaves us with a huge problem of, of very difficult to, to raise money. And to keep ourselves going, we need between five and seven million a year. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been making inroads in... in with politicians to try to get into the government for some of the charity money that's gone there, you know. Yeah, good. But we'll get there. Yeah, we no, won't give up. Absolutely. No, we will get there, and I'll help you get there as well. So thank you for playing Carfest last year. Now, um, Carfest this year, we postponed it yesterday, but we only postponed it, and we said to everybody who'd bought tickets, the tens of thousands of people, please keep your tickets. Don't ask for a refund. Roll over to next year, and we'll be able to carry on. And do you know what, Rog? Like 99.9% have. How amazing is yeah. that? Wonderful. That is amazing. The same thing has happened with the Albert Hall tickets. We've had very few refunds. As far as we're concerned, um, the, the shows are only postponed. 
Fan- no, they're, they're not cancelled. They're just postponed. Right now, how did you record? Uh, how did you two and uh, Edwards record this song that we're going to play in a moment? Or how did how did you get it together musically, virtually? Was it or, or did it, was it before we had to distance? Well, Bash Bonnie, <laughs> she's oh, still there. Uh, well, Stu- Stuart, Stuart Lo- Crosby, yep. he remixed it. You know, so it's a new version of it. He mixed it in his studio in. Um, in Newcastle, so the vocals were already down on there, so he just remixed it, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you're going to play it, and I hope it does some good for the Teenage Cancer Trust, no, you know. it will, absolutely. All right. Um, uh, Roger, listen, thanks so much for calling in. Uh, the other day we had this massive uh, garage clearance, so we sold off uh, all our stuff because we're moving house, and uh, one of the things we found was the mouth organ you gave to my little boy Noah in Los Angeles, and it, and it raised £1,900, Rog. Oh, wow. brilliant. Well, that is awesome. I mean, I'll I give you more stuff. I've got all, all my microphones go to our teenage cancer trust, as you know. So uh, if I give you one to put in your auction, that's good. Kind of robbing our auction to raise money. Oh, no, do, I'm not asking for anything, I promise. And by the way, um, because of what's happened with the rollover with Carfest tickets, let me just tell you this. Um, I think we'll still be able to send you a, a, a sizable check th- thanks to everybody who's agreed to rollover this year. Even though there's no event taking place, I still, I think we can still send you a pretty decent check. So uh, look wow, forward to that. Wow, that's really... No, it's, it's that's not... That's well done. Well done. I mean, really, we can't thank you enough. You, you do an awful lot for us, and thanks for being here for us. No, no, I love it. I love it. It makes me feel uh, of use, but it's the people who've given the money that we should thank, so let's do that. <laughs> Through Thick and Thin, I'll stand by you. Release today. 100% of profits will go to Teenage Cancer Trust. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. We've heard from three guests already, but there's still so much more to come, including Sky Sports' David Croft chatting the world of F1, coming to its biggest ever pit stop in its 70th year, plus his Sky Sports programme, The F1 Show. Real-life superhero Professor Hugh Montgomery is raising funds in support of the Intensive Care Society's Crisis Appeal. Daniel May shares all about his new Netflix series, White Lines, which is available to watch now. And Adele Parks discussing her new 20th novel, Just My Luck. All that on the way. Vassos, who's next? Formula One, of course, is having a pit stop, but there's still lots to do if you are Sky Sports F1's lead commentator, keeping his fingers crossed for a behind-closed-doors return in July, whilst keeping tabs on a bonkers busy driver merry-go-round and keeping the F1 show going. It's lights out and away we go with Crofty, David Croft. Morning. Happy um, Friday. Happy Friday to you, David. Listen, you, what you're doing on the telly at the moment, you know, it's 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 as good in a different way to what you usually do, my friend. Yeah, it's it's um it's a bit weird uh, broadcasting from home. People have seen way more of my new house than, than I ever thought they would do by this stage. But we um we've been trying to make as many programs to keep people entertained as possible uh, with vodcasts and uh, and uh, the F1 show on a Monday on Sky Sports News. But um, I've been overseeing the watch-alongs. 
um, where we look back at classic races with some of the people that were actually there at the time. And this week, I don't know if you caught it, guys, we, we look back at Brazil 2008 with Felipe Massa, the mm. man who won the race yep. but lost the title. Yep. And I tell you what, what a what an absolute legend that man is for sitting for two hours and watching his heartbreak unfold in front of him. He was he was absolutely smashing. Yeah, and it happened so late in the race. I remember his dad because we all yeah. thought we all thought he'd won everything, didn't we? Well, absolutely. He, he was there as he crossed the line. He was champion, and then Lewis Hamilton overtook Timo Glock yep. at the last corner. So for 20 seconds, Sao Paulo went crazy and then the, uh, the sinking feeling dawned for everyone. But there's a lovely moment in the watch-along where Felipe actually pans the computer around to his dad who's watching um, alongside him and still looking utterly distraught oh, in the way no. that he was on the day. Oh, God. <laughs> but see, this, this is a programme, you know, it's a programme that's been born out of necessity, you know, to, mm. to, to fill and not kill airtime. But it's one that you could, you could easily carry on now, couldn't you, with? Oh, yeah. And, and I, I actually think that when we're all sat in the room watching it together, it'll be so much easier as well. We, we, we talked to Jensen Button about his win in Hungary, his first ever win. Um, and uh, we've, got, we've got Max Verstappen and Christian Horner joining us uh, in the future to look back on last year's German Grand Prix as well. We might be, uh, and uh, this is a bit of an exclusive this morning, getting Carlos Sainz and Pierre Gasly to talk us through Brazil last year, because, of course, they ended up on the podium in that race. And, yeah, there are so many classic races and the, the 70 years of the Formula One World Championship we could do this with. So, uh, uh, fingers crossed in the future, when we get back racing, we'll have some time to record some of these still. Yeah, and again, more therapy for everybody involved. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the untalkable being talked about. Yeah, and, and if you haven't seen it, I want to reassure people that no Brazilian drivers were hurt in the making of the 2008 watch-along. Felipe is fine. He's OK. Uh, so, Crofty, where are we with, um, with Formula One returning in July? Is Austria confirmed now? Well, it's, it's confirmed as much as the plans are in place to go to Austria. But as you know, with the pandemic, it's, it's an ever-evolving, ever-moving situation. So um, until we get there, I can't say for 100% it's definitely going to happen. But the plans are there. People that will be on site and working will be tested regularly to make sure that everyone is safe uh, as well. And we'll live on our own Formula One biosphere for two races in Austria. Uh, and then the plan is to do two races at Silverstone and then um, Hungary and Spa and Monza and Azerbaijan and Sochi, I think, uh, with a bit of Spain in between all that to, to round off a European season. If, if we can get all the races that are planned, we'll be racing in Formula One until about the 13th of December uh, this year. And I hope we get as many as possible because the, the one thing I'm, I'm absolutely certain of is that Formula One fans are crying out for some action. We love the esports, but we want our sport to come back again. And it's not going to solve the problems of the world, but it gives us some escapism on a, on a Sunday afternoon to watch heroes doing what they do best. And here's this. I mean, everything has changed in the world since the beginning of this year, but here is something that will never change. This is a sentence I read this week on skysports.com. So virus, uh -huh. no virus, year in, year out. Here we go. The British Grand Prix is under threat this year because of a financial <laughs> standoff between Formula One and Silverstone. <laughs> I, I remember interviewing Bernie Eccleston in about 1999, I think it was. I said, there's a big crowd here at Silverton today. And he said, I said yeah, he said, people love to come to the last one, don't they? Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always something wrong with the, the British Grand Prix. They're, they're, they're in... 
they're in negotiations with Liberty to to try and get enough money so that they don't lose a, a huge amount by not having fans. The, the, the thing is, we, we can all we can all kind of cock a, a snoop at Silverstone and say, come on, in, the, in these times you should just be doing it for free. But they're the only circuit uh, that stages a Formula One Grand Prix that doesn't get any help from its government whatsoever. And so everything they do, they have to pay for themselves. And that's why they need a bit of a cash injection to help run that Grand Prix. But I think we'll be OK. I think we will go to Silverstone. Look, let's face it, guys. Uh, this, is the 70th, this week is the 70th anniversary of the start of the Formula One World Championship at Silverstone. We can't not go to Silverstone this year it just wouldn't be right you open this interview by saying by declaring the fact that uh, a lot of viewers a lot of fans of sky sports sky f1 are seeing more of your new house than you thought they would mm. i presume that's the same for yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> we we actually managed to move in mm. we, we got everything moved four hours before boris announced the lockdown right um so we've actually we've had a perfect chance to uh, to sort out the new house including this gorgeous gift from from laura my other half who you know very well you too um, who, who bought me some wire uh, letters to put on the office wall that just spells out lights out and away we go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Love for that. <laughs> and there, there's a marriage that's going to last forever until <laughs> beyond the end of time. Crofty, lovely to talk to you, mate. You too, guys. Take care and, and have a brilliant weekend. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest spent all of last summer in the glorious sunshine of Ibiza. Poor man. The result (laughs) is the engaging new Netflix thriller White Lines, which will have you belly laughing one minute and peeking through your fingers the next. Mm. Starring as the charmingly hapless Marcus, it's the delightful Daniel Mays. Good morning, Daniel. How are you, Chris? How are you, chaps? All Very good? well. Good, good. Love to talk to you again, Daniel. Uh, I love what you do. I love you. Love having you on the programme. Love being with you. Love interviewing you. Uh, tell us about the wonder of White Lines, please. Our White Lines, it's a murder mystery set in the on the island of Ibiza. 20 years ago, a superstar DJ by the name of Axel Collins has uh, gone missing. 20 years later, his body is unearthed in a desert mummified. And his sister, younger sister, played by the brilliant Laura Haddock, goes back to the island to investigate his disappearance and what happened to him. But it's an amazing extravaganza of a show on Netflix. It's phenomenal. Yeah, we're very proud of it. So you read the script. um, You wanted to do it straight away. But, I mean, you know, going to film in maybe Ibiza or maybe somewhere that looks a lot like Ibiza, feels like Ibiza, smells like Ibiza, walks and talks (laughs) like Ibiza, that's not terrible, is it, either? No, as soon as they ran off the list of locations, it was like, where do you want me to sign, (laughs) basically? Um, It was just a wonderful experience from start to finish. You know, and it's created by Alex Pina, the guy behind Money Heist. So the writing was of such a high standard, and it's just going to take you on a roller coaster ride, basically. Okay, now, um, did I see you almost being drowned in the first episode? Was that you in the swimming pool? It was me. I seem to have been thrown in swimming pools a lot in this show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my character, Marcus, he's, he's a brilliant character because he's just sort of so hapless. You know, he still thinks he's the man, but. By the time we come to see him 20 years later in Ibiza, he's on the downward curve in life. So, yeah, I did nearly get drowned in the swimming pool, yeah. And that's, that was an accident. So, so somebody's, like, uh, torturing you. And um, how, yeah. how, was that uncomfortable to film? 
Well, I kind of just threw myself into it. I mean, look, it's always very safe. There were like divers in the pool. No, no, but nevertheless, was it uncomfortable? It was uncomfortable, yeah, yeah, at times. And Nuno, the Portuguese actor I was filming with, he didn't hold back, put it that way. You can can tell. I was suffering from my art. Well, the the reason I ask you is because I got a bit of previous here, um, because I had my head thrust down a toilet for about an hour by Vinnie Jones when we were doing a spoof on Lockstock being directed (laughs) by Guy Ritchie, and it was horrible. Oh. It was absolutely yes. horrible. I bet Vinny didn't hold back. Did of course he? he didn't. Of course he didn't. <laughs> he's a very good actor, apart from the fact he's not acting. That's the thing there. Yeah. What's the car we saw you in? I, I thought it was a Mini Moke, but then it wasn't all of a sudden. It's a Citroen. Um, uh, what was it? Was it Mariah? Is very it called a Mariah? I don't know, but it's cool. I mean, though. it's like a sort of overgrown uh, lawnmower. It sounded like that as well. But it's. I mean, it's the perfect car for it the was. character I'm playing. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that's, that's absolutely perfect. So I watched episode one. Um, I watched some of it with the kids, and then quickly that stopped, that situation, because <laughs> oh, they're, they're, yeah. they're only 11 and 7. Especially when the party started, I thought, no, no, this is not right now. This is not right. Yeah, we, time to sort of usher them out of the room. Yeah, that bit. We yeah. need to watch some reruns of The Pink Panther very quickly. Um, now, <laughs> but I don't really know what happens after that. So so we, we have 10 episodes, White Lines, all 10 episodes, Friday, 15th of May, on Netflix, big budget, uh, Danny's in it with his pals. They all know what they're doing. The script is excellent. Fantastic backdrop. Um, is there a chance of a second series? I Will you and your car and all those lovely, colourful shirts maybe be seen again next year? It's definitely left open for a second right, series, without a doubt. So good, we'd good. love to do it again. OK, and uh, w- would it move geographically? Because, I mean, you know, Sky has Riviera. That's their original. So you, you've got this... And I know that that's moving around the world for the next season. What about... Where, where yeah. might you go with this one? In fact, here's the, here's the thing. If the producers are listening, where would you like to go, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> Colombia might be quite nice. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Um, anyway, I mean, it's definitely left open, but uh, we don't know what's going to happen, do we, with the current situation? Yeah. So flying is a no-no at the moment. So hopefully it'll all sort itself out. All right. Well, what, just give us a little bit of a, a window into your lockdown. Just a little bit of what's going on in, in the May's house. Well, we had a bit of a drama this end because, again, my, talking about my wife, she actually broke her leg on Mother's Day, which was the Sunday before the school shut down. So... Right. She really didn't want to go out for a walk, and I sort of twisted her arm and said, listen, we've got to go out and get some exercise, and she slipped down a grass bank and broke her leg, Chris. And that's your so we fault. Were three out- that's all my fault, oh, yeah. Daniel. So we were three hours in A&E surrounded by sort of coronavirus, but oh thankfully every, everyone's okay. So it's been, a, it's been a bit hairy this end. All right, well, one of the things we've been enjoying uh, whilst we've been in lockdown, lots of uh, amazing content on Sky, and I really mean that. I know they pay us, I know they're our business partners, but there's some cracking stuff coming out. Sky Original Code 404, uh, you're in that with Stephen Graham. How is that going down? Because you will know about this. So, so how's that landed with people? Well, the, the, the ratings and the numbers have been fantastic. I think Sky are going to uh, announce something tomorrow. But um, what do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, what, do you mean? It, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> I don't want to give it let the cat out of the bag. But um, I mean, the response has been amazing, Chris. You know, my sort of Twitter feed didn't stop going for like a week. And I mean, it's again, it's a sort of perfect show for lockdown. It's sort of pure, silly escapism TV. Um, and look, just an absolute joy to get to work with. Stephen Graham again, and uh, yeah, well, I mean, hopefully we'll be doing more of that as well. All right, pal. Well, well done. Love to talk to you, Daniel, as always. And you, Chris. Take care of yourself. Okay. Stay safe. Hope to see you soon. Really do.
Love Daniel Mace. I will, I will watch him literally in anything. Um, not that, you know, he's never in anything that's other than amazing. And here we go with White Lines. All 10 episodes available Friday, May 15, Netflix. And of course, he continues with Sky Originals Code 404 alongside Stephen Graham on Sky One. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. With the NHS under pressure like never before, those at the very front of the front line need our support. The Intensive Care Society's Crisis Appeal aims to help the helpers and here to tell us how is a real-life superhero of intensive care medicine. It's the inspiring Professor Hugh Montgomery. Good morning to you, Hugh. Goodness me, I've never been described as a superhero before. Thank you for that. Yeah, but you are, though. You are. And you can't say it, but we can, uh, because it's the truth. Right, you've just had to come out of a meeting. What are you up to this morning? Uh, Meetings, oddly enough. So it's rebooting the NHS. I've just been in the red zone for the last couple of days, so looking after patients. But we're now back to trying to work out what to do with those, because they're still very poorly. This is a disease that uh, has long, long long-lasting impacts. So I've just come off a call about that, really, trying to sort them out, and then the rest of it's national planning today. OK, and what would you like to say on this uh, radio station? What would you like to use us for? Say anything you like. Well, you start. So, well, firstly, I'd like to say thank you to you, um, because we need leadership in this country, and you've really shown that. So thank you to you. I'd like to say a big thank you to your listeners, because we were going to get absolutely slaughtered with coronavirus cases. And if people hadn't locked down as they did, um, we would have sunk without trace. So, so a really big thank you. Um, two other things to say. I think there's been confusion since the weekend. Um, is what you were saying earlier on, Chris. This is a very dangerous disease. Uh, most people who get it will be just fine. They really will be just fine. But some will not. And our unit is full of people like that. And it is a horrible disease. And if people don't keep their social distancing, don't keep washing their hands and think that they can cram themselves back into workplaces and tube trains, this will spread again. Um, we've got a lot of dry tinder there. And we just need another spark to reignite it. So please, please do the common sense things um, and, you know, stop this reigniting. We can't cope with a second wave. The intensive care units are still full of the patients from the first wave. And finally, I suppose, um, I hadn't got a script prepared, but that's just to say um, we've got a very battered workforce, um, particularly our nursing staff. They were absolutely extraordinary. Um, They've, I've used the allegory before that it's a bit like these people flying an unstable jet plane and they cannot take their hands off the controls for a second and that's with one patient. Our nurses were looking after six patients of the sickest people I've ever seen before. Um, they were watching death at a scale they've never seen before. We had dental receptionists and nurses helping, watching people die, holding their hands, trying to get them just with iPads to be able to say their or receive their farewells and their loved ones. And they have been battered by this. And we have got a fundraising appeal. Um, and it's to try to support those people that have suffered in that way. And also to support the training of those people, because we are going to get more of these cases. And we have to make sure people feel able to cope next time. So there you are. I've said lots. I've probably said too much. But thank you for letting me say it anyway. No, well, if you can hang on, I've got a couple of questions for you, if you don't mind. Have you got time? Please. OK. Of course, so, so far away. So what, what, what do you say to the voices that are saying, because uh, we allegedly underreacted in the beginning, we then overreacted, and this is massive overreaction, and we've gone too far, and there's too much disruption, and there was no need for any of this calamity at all? I would disagree. Um, firstly, I won't be a harsh critic of anybody. I think we were hit with a disease we didn't understand, um, and politically and in planning, 
people will get it wrong. And in retrospect, one will go back and say, well, some of that was negligent or some of that was ignorant or some of it was just an error. But that's just what happens in a time like this. In retrospect, yes, we should have locked down earlier. Um, at the time, we didn't overreact. If the, I think the assumption was the British public wouldn't behave as, as fantastically as they did. And if they hadn't, we would have needed all those 4,000 beds at the Nightingale. So um, if we hadn't responded in that way, um, we'd, they'd have been accused the government of being negligent and not having prepared. The issue for now, though, I was anxious about the lack of clarity, I think, on Sunday night. And I hope that clarity will now appear that that if we suddenly take our foot off the brake, we will go back to where we were before. And if people couldn't see that we were in a state of crisis, believe me, we were. Um, you couldn't see it from the outside. I'd cycle home to empty streets, you know, with birdsong and sweet flowers and no smell of diesel and thinking it looks completely benign out here. And yet you just come out of a situation that was like a war zone. It was as close to being in the First World War trenches as I can imagine. And we can't let that happen again. Just because people can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Now, uh, we, we work in London, so we see many things that other people aren't seeing at the moment. And we are seeing the beginning mm. of what looks like social distancing in big buildings full of thousands of people might look mm. like, how it might work. Um, mm. it, you know, and I can't help thinking, and believe me, my glass is always half full. I'm just grateful for the glass, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, or the fact that glass was invented. But... I, th I think on lockdown right now, okay, on mm -hmm. lockdown right now looks a lot more difficult to navigate than lockdown. I agree with you. Very, very much more difficult. And I think there were huge opportunities. So if I'm going to have my glass half full and join yours, um, we saw a massive reduction in trauma. People weren't going out taking drugs, drinking, crashing cars, falling downstairs, having fights and stabbing each other. We've got clean air, really clean air. So that people with asthma and with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease have not been getting sick. I know some have got sick and stayed at home, but we've had a massive reduction in that. Diabetic control has been better. People have had more regular lives, have been able to control their exercise and take more of it in many cases. And a lot of those cases have disappeared. Um, we've had so much to be thankful for from what we've had. And we could rebuild a very different sort of world. And I whilst you have a much more of a greater love affair with motor vehicles than I do, you've championed clean transport and electric vehicles. We really could change London transport, for instance, to make it possible for people to walk and cycle and to go fundamentally electric and keep our air clean and improve the quality of life and health of our population. If we go straight back to what we did before, as that old adage goes, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. Yeah. And I don't want any more of this. That's the definition of madness, isn't it? Expecting a different okay. outcome. OK, before you yeah. go, stay home or stay alert? Um, for now, stay home. And if you're going out, stay distant. Remember, keep those two metres. Wash your hands regularly. This is transmitted from anyone coughing in your face or your eyes or you touching something and putting your fingers in your mouth and rubbing your eyes. If you do those things and just keep that, you will be safe and you will protect other people. Hugh, great to talk to you. Um, get back, uh, nose to the grindstone and all that. Um, I told you he was clever, didn't I? The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest is an up-and-coming author waiting for her big break. 
Oh, no, sorry. Wrong script. Here we are. She sold millions and millions of brilliant <laughs> books, been translated into 26 languages and is a worldwide bestseller list regular. Her new book, Just My Luck, is out tomorrow. So please welcome the phenomenal Adele Parks. Good morning, Adele. <laughs> I love that intro. How are you, darling? Very well, how are you? Very well, very well too. Um, So what's it like to publish a blockbuster under lockdown? Well, it's different. It's definitely different. I mean, it's been challenging because it was 20th book, 20th years. We had big, big plans, you know, lots of tours. I was going to America, I was going to Canada, lots of things going on. None of that's happening. But we've all been, like, when I say we, I mean my publishing team, we've all been so creative and... People are kind of pitching in and we're just finding different ways to talk about the book, get it out there. And in many ways, you know what, I've never known a more willing audience because people are really interested in books right now in a way that perhaps the British public haven't always been. So, you know, there's good and bad. You've got to look on the bright side. Yeah, no, I think think we have been re-engaging with the written word over the last 10 or 15 years. Maybe that's maybe maybe just me from a personal point of view, but I do feel like this, you know, the journey had already begun, but this certainly expedited it. Was your book always due to come out tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't move it. A lot of people are moving publishing dates, and we considered it, and there was quite a strong belief from me and from the team that, um, you know, two things. One, I like a sense of progress. This has been, we've expected this book to come out for a year. I yep. do a book every year, yep. so 20 book, 20 years, once it has still happen, want to still feel that we are still progressing, still having some level of normality. And secondly, going back to that thing about readers, readers are desperate at the moment for new material. And I just didn't want to let down my very loyal readers who were expecting it. And it's a bit of a, it's not like the biggest moment in their lives, let's face it, but it's a bit of a thing to look forward to. And I, I just didn't want to let anyone down. So we'll see. We'll see if, um, see if that was a good idea. But right. I'm excited. OK, well, let's cross now uh, to a living room live in Buckinghamshire that has seen your book, had your book delivered, and has read your book via the wonderful Rachel Horn-Rainbow. Good morning, Adele. Woo! How are you? Good morning. <laughs> I uh, demolished your book in about 48 hours. I absolutely loved it perfect lockdown escape fiction and like some real surprises in there i usually pride myself on seeing stuff coming but there were so many connections that i just hadn't made and then suddenly you hit me with it at the end of a chapter how do you plan your books do you do you just have do you storyboard do you just jump right in there i mean after 20 years i bet you've got it down to a process i have got a process so i have a, a notebook for each new novel that I write. And in that notebook, I start off with a spidergram. You know how all kids are told by their school teachers? How a spidergram. Oh, like mind maps. My ideas. Yeah, mind map. And um, I, do, I do that. And then I might plan out chapters and start thinking, right, where are the big beats? What are the big reveals? Where's the tension? And I also have another part of the process where with each of my characters, I sort of interview them. So I know them absolutely thoroughly inside out, even before I, I crack open the laptop. And that whole process takes about two or three months. And I force myself not to start writing until I am desperate to write and absolutely have my plot locked down. And then I, and then I let it happen. And then I write sort of one to 2,000 words a day. Um, and that is the process. 
Yeah, I've just managed to take the magic out of that, haven't I? I'm just sorry. No, you haven't. I think it sounds fascinating (laughs) interviewing your fictional characters in your notebook. Love that, don't you? (laughs) Tell us about this. Tell us about the interviews. Did anybody fail the interview? (laughs) I'll tell you the interviews and I'll tell you the book. So um, I'll do a bit of both. So one of the characters in the book is a woman called Lexi. She's a very kind of normal woman, um, married, couple of kids. They're her world. Like, I think the vast majority of us, our families, our friends are the world. There's three uh, couples who have all known each other for 15 years since they all had their first babies. And they do everything together. They're a little bit over-intimate. You know, they have too many sort of supper parties and the kids' birthdays are all joint and all that kind of thing. But they're happy on it, so why not? And every week, they one of the things they do together is they buy a syndicate um, lottery ticket. So the three couples have chosen six numbers and week after week after week, they bet on those numbers. And inevitably, the winner tenor every now and again, they put it towards the takeaway the next week. But one week, they have a, a rift, a tip about something that turns into a massive rift. And we don't really know what that argument is about. Um, but two of the couples kind of say, I'm not interested in the lottery anymore. But what they are saying is, I'm not interested in this friendship anymore. I've outgrown it. I think I'm a bit better than all of this. And the remaining couple, Lexi and her husband, Jake, still buy the ticket the next week. And the very next week, the money, uh, the numbers come up and they win 18 million pounds. Da, da, da. <laughs> love well it. done. That's exactly what I wanted. Yay. I, I just love you. Um, so going back to how did I interview Lexi? I needed to know everything about Lexi, like what her job is, uh, how she felt when she had a kid. Does she have a fat wardrobe and a thin wardrobe? What's her birth (laughs) birth sign? You know, all this level of details that may or may not make it into the book. But it meant I was really comfortable with understanding how Lexi would react to to this win and then to her husband's reaction to the win because actually both of them react very differently. One more question before you go. Um, And we've run run out of time, so... um... Quickly, if you don't mind, why did you choose for your uh, your uh, syndicate to win 18 million? Why not nine? Why not 49? Why not the Euro millions? Well, 18 million is quite nice because if the two, so the three couples, so if they had split it, they could have had six million each. And yep. six million is a lot of money. That is life changing. So that's the first decision. Should they split it? Is there a moral obligation, even though there's no legal obligation? Is there a moral obligation to split it? Because your life could still change with six million. I didn't want to give them 100 million because I just think that kind of money must be horrendously overwhelming. I think 18 million is overwhelming. And so I wanted it just to be on the scale of it. It's almost too, well, it is too much. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, it, it's a lot of money. And how do normal people like myself, I wouldn't know what to do with 18 million. Um, it would it would overwhelm me for a while and therefore put me under pressure and therefore mean I will probably make some mistakes. And the book is all about what we should or shouldn't buy, what we can and can't buy, and um, also what price everyone has on them. Um, Because the other two couples do go some terrible lengths to try and get a share in this money. Good. All right. Well, you, you sold it on me. I mean, I'm not. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm quite late to the party of lockdown escapist fiction, uh, but <laughs> but I'm about to time. jump on board. Well done, time. Adele. Thank you so much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget, you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast, and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.